We read together again this morning from Judges chapter 6. And again reading only two verses, and so I shall read them twice in your hearing. Judges chapter 6 and only verse 11 and 12. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash and Abizarite, Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Oprah that pertained unto Joash and Abiezrite a right at his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Turn with me, please, and stand with me again, please. We sing together number 132. Father of spirits, Nature's God, our inmost thoughts are known to Thee. Thou, Lord, canst hear each idle word and every private action see. Could we on morning's swiftest wings pursue our flight through trackless air or dive beneath deep ocean springs thy presence still would meet us there. In vain may guilt attempt to fly, concealed beneath the pole of night. One glance from thy all-piercing eye can kindle darkness into light. Search thou our hearts and there destroy 
Each evil thought, each secret sin, and fit us for those realms of joy, where no dipure shall enter in. Thank you. Be seated. God is sitting under a tree somewhere nearby. We return again this morning to the sixth chapter of the record of the book of Judges in our expositions of that chapter. We have come and arrived again. At verse 11, I'll review only briefly from last week's message, which really was one sermon, that and this is one sermon, but I was unable to finish it on last week. I remind you that we saw in agonizing detail the state of Israel as this chapter 6 opened before our eyes. Then we saw in verse 6 of this chapter that under the effectual hand of God's providence, Israel at last cried out to God, forsaking all of her other false and helpless idols, they cried out at last, and we saw that Jehovah sent to them a man prophet. And now, now this God, as we come to this portion, this God will remember his covenant and raise up a deliverer, a savior, a ruler, a judge, under whose direction Israel will find again repentance and healing restoration, and peace. But this deliverer we saw, started to see on last week, was raised up like none other that had ever come before. This deliverer was raised up by nothing less than the appearance of the Son of God in a pre-incarnate visitation. A Christophany, it is called. Christ came, and Gideon is called to this work of deliverance in an unparalleled manner of grandeur and profundity by nothing less than the appearance of the Christ himself to him. But just before we go into the study of this interesting and amazing deliverer, this man Gideon, and I said on last week, 
His story to this day is a thrilling story and one that occupies the minds and imaginations of even children. Read them the story of Gideon. Grandiose visions, grandiose visions collect in their brains. But before we even begin, before we even begin to go down and journey in that glorious, thrilling road of Gideon's life and service, I said to you that I wanted to pause before we go there and draw sweet nectar from a flower that I said, I said, has too often been neglected by commentators through the centuries. They seem not to have noticed very much this amazing fact that the pre-incarnate Christ himself is sitting under an oak somewhere nearby. Exactly where is this oak in relation to this wine press, I don't know. But clearly it was within some proximity, for he watched Gideon. How could it be that the Son of God in a pre-incarnate form could be sitting, just sitting in such close proximity to this good man at work and yet remain unnoticed? I cannot answer that question. There are speculations and I shared with you some of those. I don't know. But I know he was. Whatever be the case, we know from this record that here is Gideon. Here is Gideon again, lost in his thoughts, absorbed in the dangerous and urgent necessity of thrashing the wheat while only a short distance away, the Son of God is sitting. <laughs> oh, I hope that you can just put this scene in your mind this morning, and if you can, then you will have taken hold, surely, of the great profundity to which I referred, the profundity of this whole setting. Gideon, beating out wheat with a stick, the Son of God sitting under an oak nearby. So he labored on, lost in his thoughts, and as I said on last week, maybe some believe he was even praying and struggling in his mind, absorbed in the situation that he is in and Israel is in, and there he is at work doing a job that was not likely for him to be having to do in a place that was most unlikely to be used for the job, doing it in a way that was not customary, absorbed in his troubles. And just then, just then, verse 12, just 
over there. The Son of God. The power of God in visible form. The deliverer of all of Israel is sitting under an oak watching. <laughs> and just at the right appointed moment in God's divine timing, verse 12 says, He appears to get in. Oh, hallelujah. Now, salvation has come. Now, deliverance is near. And now, Gideon's whole world will change. But I said I wanted to pause just there. Before we look at all that change and all that deliverance, all that work, I wanted us to pause and get a lesson that I said on last week has absorbed my heart and attention. And here it is in a word. The angel was watching Gideon while Gideon, drowning in his sorrows, had no knowledge of him. Hmm. Or if you prefer a more simple expression, God was near watching before he had any knowledge of it. Oh, there's a truth that can carry your heart to the very gates of glory. God was near watching you before you had any knowledge of him. And I said I wanted to expand that and make application in four areas. Number one, I gave you last week. God was watching you before you had any existence in time. I gave you several examples. The psalmist spoke of it. In Psalm 139, 3 through 16. And I told you I loved it. I loved it. I contemplated again this week. That Hebrew word in that verse 13 described the weaving of a colorful tapestry. What a beautiful thing. The psalmist said he was weaving the tapestry of me when I was nothing but a globus, a ball wrapped together with no shade. God was weaving when you had no existence at all. I gave you that example. I gave the example in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 of the prophet. And those four beautiful, blessed Hebrew words right there. That when I translated them literally and then tied them together, the sentence simply reads like this. Before I squeeze you into shape for your birth, I perceive with certainty that I would pronounce you clean and cast you into a very specific direction. Hallelujah. 
God was looking at Jeremiah before he had any existence in time. God was looking at you. And then I gave you that blessed example in Judges chapter 13 of Samson. <laughs> God had made all the plans for his life even before he was conceived. Told his mother, don't drink wine. I'm sending one to you. I want him clean. He's mine. Before Samson had any existence, even in the form of a conception, God was looking at him and made his plans. <laughs> oh, and I said it to you, I'll say it again. Before the stars were hung in their luminary sockets, God was thinking about you. Before your mother or father or grandmother had any thought of you before they had any thought of any child at all, God was thinking about you. Before Adam took the first gulp of breath from God's own mouth, God was thinking about you. Oh yes, this scene in verse 11 and 12 of Judges 6 makes us to remember that our God sees us before we even have any existence in time. But then secondly this morning, I would propose to you from the consideration of this text that God saw you before you knew what to do with your life. You see, Gideon, as I have so strained to try to describe, I would that I had better knowledge. I would that I had better language. But with what I have, I've tried to describe to you the scene. Gideon over there, working and laboring and plotting away with beating this wheat. He had no knowledge, no thought of being a deliverer for Israel. He had no idea of God's plans. He's working with his hands. He's doing what he can try to do to supply for his family, their needs. That's all he's thinking about. And before he had any knowledge at all, even of his presence, he's working and working with his hands and his heart to do this work. But God is watching him before he had any knowledge of what he was to do. <laughs> before he had any knowledge of what he was to do, God was watching him. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, listen to this. Exodus chapter 3, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked. Behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. And the Lord said, I have seen, surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into the good land and large into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now therefore, verse 9, Behold the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Moses is out there doing his job, tending the flocks. Just tending the flocks. He had no idea God was in the proximity. He had no idea God had a plan. <laughs> oh, can I say it again? God saw you before you knew what to do. Before you knew what God was going to do. With your life, God was watching you. <laughs> Forty years there in Exodus chapter 3. Forty years since Moses fled to Egypt to go down, fled Egypt to go down to Midian. He was God's chosen vessel. You remember that. You remember the miraculous deliverance at his birth. He was God's chosen vessel. But now he's a man adrift. He's a man tending to his father-in-law's sheep. He has no thought of delivering Israel. He has no thought of what God would have him to do. He's just tending sheep. But God is watching somewhere nearby. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Sounds just like our text in Judges 6, does it not? God was watching him. Our God was watching him when he didn't even know what he was supposed to do. <laughs> oh, listen to me. God is watching. God is somewhere nearby watching before you knew what to do. And maybe you don't know this morning what to do. Maybe you've come here and you don't know what to do. Can I just encourage you with this? God is somewhere nearby watching. And he'll appear to you 
in the scriptures. Could I show you another? Oh, bless be God. I showed you Moses. Can I show you another? Look at John. Look at John chapter 1, verse 45. <laughs> oh, bless the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith to him, We found him. We found him. Of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, and Nathaniel said unto them, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? <laughs> Jesus said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Nathaniel had no idea what he was supposed to be. He had no idea what God was going to make him. He had no idea what his service was to be. What he was to do, he had no idea. But Jesus was watching him and saw him beforehand. Oh, Surely you'd indulge me to give you just one more for your heart's pleasure and edification. First Samuel chapter 3, you know the story. I won't take a long time this morning. My wife sometimes says that I read too much. But I love to give you the word rather than my words. First Samuel chapter 3. The child Samuel ministered to the Lord. Now listen, get the scene. Get the scene in your eye, in your mind's eye. The child Samuel's ministering unto the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was precious in those days when there was no open vision. It came to pass at that time Eli was laid down in his place. His eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. He was laid down to sleep now. The Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and he said, Here, here am I for thou callest me. And he said, I call not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel! You get the picture? He hadn't seen the Lord. He doesn't even recognize his voice. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I call not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. <laughs> Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. <laughs> he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. 
Do you hear me? He didn't know what he was supposed to be doing with his life. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here am I, and thou, thou didst call me. And Eli said, The Lord hath he perceived that the Lord's called this child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, came and stood. Came and stood and called as that other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And in that day I'll perform these things. And you know the story. God called Samuel to the work. You hear me? Before he knew what he was supposed to be doing, the Lord was watching him until the time to reveal himself to him. Oh, listen to me this morning. Our God is watching. Hey, listen now. Listen to me. Our God is watching. When we're in the dark and cannot see and we don't even recognize his voice, he's watching. (laughs) Well, under an oak somewhere nearby, When I'm in the dark and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I can't even recognize his voice. I'm a speaking brother. He's somewhere nearby watching. Hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, bless his holy name. Dear saint this morning, are you struggling in the dark? Are you confused? Are you uncertain? Do you not know what you're supposed to be doing? Well, never faint, my dear friend. Never faint. God is somewhere nearby watching. Hallelujah. And in the right time, he'll call and he'll come and stand. Stand by you. And he'll speak. And it'll all be clear. <laughs> oh, listen, verse 11 at 12 is rich. Number three, and I give it to you quickly. Number three, I want to draw from this text that God sees you even when you're bound up in burdens. Or sleeping the sleep of despair. Gideon was bound up with his burdens. 
I mean bound up. I mean consumed. Gideon was consumed with his burden. But God was watching him. But then we find an interesting fact over here in the book of Acts in chapter 12. Here's an interesting thing. God is watching even when we're sleeping. The sleep of despair. Acts chapter 12 verse 1 through 9. I won't read it. You know the story. Peter. Verse 4. They had apprehended him and put him in prison. And bound him to soldiers to keep him. And therefore, verse 5, Peter was kept in prison. But prayer was made for him. The same night, verse 6, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. No doubt fatigue. Oh, he wasn't sleeping because it was a fine, nice resort, comfortable, wonderful place to be. Oh, no doubt he's fallen asleep from sheer fatigue. All that he's been through and now he's tied to these soldiers and he's down in a pit prison. And finally out of complete exhaustion he's fell asleep. I want you to get it in your heart this morning that even when you fall asleep the sleep of despair What possible hope could Peter expect now? Look where he is. He's fell asleep. He's fell asleep. But verse 7 says, Behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and light shone in the prison, hallelujah, and raised him up. And sorry, and smote Peter on the side. Why do you have to smite him on the side? He wasn't expecting anything. He wasn't expecting the Lord. He didn't know that the Lord had come to that prison. He didn't know that the angel of the Lord had been sitting under a tree somewhere nearby. Waiting for this hour. He's going to deliver him. He's going to deliver him. I said even when you're bound up with burdens. Or sleeping in a sleep of despair. God is watching. Oh poor Peter. (laughs) He's been faithful. Yes he has. Oh, he's been busy in the Lord's work. But now, now, now he's under this deep, dark prison. He's bound hand and foot to these guards. And now from sheer fatigue, he's passed out in sleep. But wait, God is watching. Hallelujah. God is watching. Oh, my dear brother, my dear sister. Our Lord is somewhere near this morning. He's somewhere near sitting under an oak watching. And in God's perfect timing, he will appear. 
and there will be light that will flood the prison. Light flooded the prison. (laughs) Because he has come. You see, he's been watching. He knew where Peter was. Listen to me this morning. God didn't keep Peter out of prison. God didn't keep Peter out of prison. God didn't keep Gideon out of anguish. But he kept them both out of despair. (laughs) Amen. Kept them both out of despair. Because he was somewhere nearby watching. Finally this morning, can I just give you a final suggestion in this line of thought, not specifically from this text, but from this line of thought, I want to leave you this fourth consideration. God sees you even when you're dumber than a dumb beast and going the wrong way. (laughs) You know the story. You know where I'm going, don't you? Numbers chapter 22. I said God is watching and he's near. Even when you're dumber than a dumb beast and going the wrong way. Numbers chapter 22, you know the story. Balaam. Balaam and his beast. Verse 24. Angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself onto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and he smote her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down unto Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with his staff, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she rebuked him. She said, Have I not been faithful? Am I not your beast? And have I not served? And have I not been faithful? Verse 31, and the Lord, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. You listen to me? (laughs) The angel of the Lord, the same angel that's over here in Judges chapter 6, The angel of the Lord is here. And Balaam is dumber than the dumb donkey he's riding. He doesn't even see him. And by the way, they're going the wrong way. They're going the wrong way. He wasn't supposed to be going where he was going. God told him not to. He's dumb. He's going the wrong way. But the angel of the Lord appeared. Oh, saint today. 
I've seen times in my life when I was dumber than Balaam's ass. I was just as blind. I was going the wrong way. But the angel of the Lord, verse 31, opened my eyes as only he can do. And however dumb we may be, however dumb we may be, however wrong our blind folly has led us to go, the angel of the Lord sees us. He knows where we're going. He knows where we are. And in his own good time, he'll open our eyes. He's somewhere nearby. <laughs> oh, I bless the Lord. In just such a state was Israel at this time in our text. At just such a state was Israel one time when the prophet of Israel, Jeremiah, the Lord spoke, just same condition was Israel in at the time that God spoke through a prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good work toward you and cause you to return to this place. Why? Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I've thought toward you. You may be blind and dumber than Balaam's dumb donkey. You may be going the wrong way, Israel, but I have not lost you. And I know what my thoughts were that I thought towards you. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you and expected in, and then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Hallelujah. God is somewhere sitting, watching me when I'm dumber than a dumb animal and going the wrong way. He's watching me. <laughs> Hallelujah. You might not need that, but I do. Now I would bring our thoughts to a close this morning by returning to that blessed text from which I spoke to your heart in this message before. That text of Psalm 139. I would close our thoughts on this thing by returning to that blessed passage in Psalm 139 where we listen to David's testimony of God's watching him before he had been born. You remember it. It was under my first point. And surely as we contemplate there the glorious and exalted truths today, we too can testify with David what he said in verse 17 and 18. Whoa, how precious 
how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. I just read you where the Lord said to the prophet, I know my thoughts. I know my thoughts. Oh, can you see the scene in Judges 6? Get in over here, work. Oblivious. Over here sits the Son of God under an oak tree thinking about it. Hallelujah. David's trying to take it all in. And he just burst forth with this acclamation. Oh, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. And when I'm awake, when I awake, I'm still with thee. Listen what Kyle said about that text. Kyle said, they're some. <laughs> he said, I'm trying to count them. Psalm 139, David said, I've been trying to count these thoughts God is having about me. Verse 18. Kyle said, their sons are powerful, prodigious, and cannot be brought to a summa sumerium. If he desires to count them, they prove themselves to be more than the sand with its grains. That is to say, innumerable. He falls asleep over the pondering upon them, wearied out. (laughs) Hey, I like that expression. David sitting here thinking about the thoughts of God toward him. And he wears himself out just trying to numb. Hallelujah. And when he wakes up, says Kyle, he's still with God. Still ever absorbed in the contemplation of the unsearchable one, which even the sleep of fatigue could not entirely interrupt. Oh, but listen what Dr. Hill says about it. He said the thoughts and counsels of God are impenetrable and unsearchable. He knows our thoughts, but we do not know his. (laughs) Oh, listen now. It is likewise signifies the worth and value of them. God's thoughts are infinitely beyond ours and infinitely more valuable and more important and are concerning our welfare and happiness. It is a marvelous and unfathomable thing that God should think of us at all. It is more so that his thoughts should be thoughts not of evil, but of good. <laughs> but thoughts of salvation, of eternal life, of the way and means of bringing it about. Thoughts to provide for our present supply in this world. Thoughts to lay up for us in the world to come. 
And when the psalmist said, when I awake, I'm still with thee, Dr. Gill said, after I've been reckoning them up all day long and then fall asleep at night to refresh nature after such fatiguing research. When I wake in the morning and go at it again, I'm just where I was. <laughs> and have got no further knowledge of God and His thoughts and have as many to count as at first setting out and far from coming to any end of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, the psalmist the psalmist said, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more than number than the sand of the sea. And when I fall out in fatigue, trying to take account of them, I wake up and Jill says, I'm right where I started. I hadn't even begun to understand his thoughts. Thinking about me. Watching me. When I have no consciousness of his presence. <laughs> oh, so I leave you this morning with only this one thought. I leave you with this one thought. Our God is somewhere under an oak nearby watching. While we're thrashing out the wheat of our pitiful lives. God is somewhere nearby watching. Oh, I like Gideon. We're thrashing out the wheat with a stick. The wheat of our pitiful lives. Oh, if that doesn't transport your heart, your heart's made out of stone. God is sitting under a tree. My title in God is sitting under a tree somewhere nearby. Turn with me, please, and stand with me. Let us sing together. Hymn number 134. In all my vast concerns with thee, in vain my soul would try to shun thy presence, Lord, or free or flee the notice of thine eye. Thine all-surrounding sight surveys my rising and my rest, my public walks, my private ways, the secrets my breast. He's watching. Stand with me, please. In all my vast concerns with thee, in vain my soul would try. To shun thy presence, Lord, or flee 